Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. We couldn't have picked a more appropriate weather kind of situation for the Feast of All Souls Day than we got this morning. It was spooky and eerie, that fog rolling in. Okay, friends, it's important for us as we celebrate All Souls Day, it's important for us that we let the church's liturgy teach us and form us and and to have it shape our faith. As Catholics, we live by the church calendar, right? We're meant to live liturgically. What I mean is this, that yesterday we celebrated the Feast of All Saints. So we're celebrating those who are home, those who are in glory, either canonized or uncanonized. That's who we're celebrating yesterday. But today, we celebrate all souls. There's a distinction here, an important one, right? Those who have died, for whom we pray, for whom we intercede, and we pray that if they're not home yet, meaning those souls who are being purified, still in purgatory, that they get there soon. That's what today is about. So primarily, All Souls Day is about three things. First, it's about praying for the dead. Secondly, it's about reflecting on our own mortality. And thirdly, it's about marveling at how Christ has dealt with death by his unimaginable and glorious death and resurrection, right? Fashioning a remedy for death out of death itself. So as Catholics, we believe that our prayers have an effect, have real power on those who've died. There's no more powerful prayer that we can offer for the dead than the church's liturgy, right? Than the church's mass. So if you have loved ones and you've never had masses said for them, do that. Do that. It's so important. It's so, so, so important. Because there's one mass. There's just one mass. And the entire church is present at that mass. It's us, visibly, the church militant, surrounded by the church triumphant, the angels and saints. In addition, the church suffering, those who are being purified in purgatory. It's all present here in this one mass. So we don't assume, we ought not assume that our loved ones are home yet. You hear that a lot in, in uh, the conversations, I hear that a lot in conversations I have with, with folks after they have a loved one who's died, that it's just an automatic assumption that they're in glory. And that very well could be. But here's the thing, if I die today, please don't assume that I'm already in heaven, okay? Uh, pray for me, have masses said for me, pray chaplet of divine mercy for me, all of those things, right? So that's the first thing. We're interceding and praying for the dead. Secondly, all souls, there's an opportunity for the entire church to, to reflect on mortality, right? Momento mori is the Latin phrase, frater, momento mori, brother, remember your death. This is the traditional exchange that St. Benedict had his monks use to greet each other, brother, remember your death. That it's so critical, it is so, so, so critical to remember the fact and the reality of our mortality. I was at a wedding reception, I don't know, not too long ago, and uh, what often happens when you're the priest getting invited to wedding receptions is that the couple, if they hate you, they seat you with the atheist uncles and cousins and those people in the family. Uh, So I was sitting with some Uncle Ned or something, and uh, at some point the conversation was turning towards, it it turned towards death. And someone said, made some comment about, well, I don't know if it's going to come to that. Meaning, like, like I just looked at her, I was like, do you, you you know you're going to die, right? Which is a really great conversation, you know. 
at a wedding reception. But yes, she was like, I don't know if it's going to come to that. It's going to come to that. It will, I promise you. I don't know when, but it will. It's so important for us to remember death. And in our own Catholic imagination, our own Catholic customs, we've had fascinating traditions that we decorate spaces. Like if you look at Catholic art, you always see, you always often see images of hour, an hourglass or an image of a skull. Um, I know a few years ago when I was in seminary, they passed out these little foam, styrofoam skulls that we were supposed to keep on our desks, which felt very fitting being in the seminary because uh, you always felt like you were dying. But um, the whole point was to have before you the fact of your death. Why? Not to be macabre, but because if you don't make sense of your death, you're not going to make sense of your life. That only with the end in mind are you going to live life well. That's the point. That's the point. The hourglass, the sand is slipping through, all of that stuff. I mean, that's why, that's why the church gives the priest the opportunity one time a year to wear a black vestment. And you know me, I'm like, of course I'm going to wear my black vestment. Again, not because I want to be macabre, but because it reflects the heaviness, the reality, the sadness of death. That it's reality. It's coming. Still, to this day, you go to funerals, most people are wearing black, right? Or like dark, muted colors. You don't usually see someone like busting out their seersucker suit at a funeral. Like, it's not usually what they wear. It's something dark. We need these reminders. We need these reminders of, of our mortality because it's easy to get lulled into the illusion that this is just going to continue indefinitely, right? I don't know if it's going to come to that. Because we have to live with the end in mind. We have to live in the, with the end in mind because at some point in our lives, those two moments that we pray when we say the Hail Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, now and at the hour of our death, those two moments are going to be the same moment one day. They're going to be the same moment. And we will all stand before the Lord in judgment. We will. And when that happens, the facts of our life will be laid bare. And there's going to be no opportunity for repentance at that point, no opportunity to give excuses, no more chances to respond better tomorrow. It'll all be laid bare. And what we've become in this life will be what we are for eternity. And we'll hear one of two things. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy, which is what everybody wants to hear. Or we'll hear the other thing, which is depart from me, you accursed. Right, friends? Because Christianity is it's God's marriage proposal to each of us. Like the God of the universe is intensely interested in spending eternity with you. And he comes to us every single day, every single moment of every single day, and just like Gabriel knelt before Mary and said, will you open to me? Will you give me your total and unconditioned yes? If we spend every day saying, I don't, not, not today, Lord. I got a lot of things to do today. Not today, come back tomorrow. I'll get serious tomorrow. If we say that every single day, not today, come back tomorrow, and then we die, our not today, come back tomorrow turns into a no. Right? If Juliet says every day to Romeo, not today, come back tomorrow, not today, come back tomorrow, Romeo dies, Juliet's answer becomes a no. Like the stunning proposal at the heart of the gospel is that there's a stunning proposal. Right? Heaven is described as a wedding feast. We have to say yes. We have to say yes. So it's so important to ready ourselves for that, to ready ourselves for death. One of the practical ways 
that we can do that is if you haven't yet done this, see this is something that we have to do as priests because we don't have spouses, but when we get ordained, one of the first meetings you have with the vicar for clergy is he gives you your assignment, he tells you some things you get to do, and then he says, by the way, make sure you plan your funeral. Like, what? Yeah, they have to have your funeral plans on file. It's a very sobering thing, and it's a very great thing, I think, though, to prepare for death. If you haven't done it, plan your funeral. Pick out the readings, pick out the hymns, all those things. I know some of us have already picked out our funeral plots. It wouldn't be a terrible idea occasionally to go to that spot, to go to that plot of earth, and to pray, to contemplate. Lord, I am not ready yet. Give me the grace to respond to your grace more fully. Like, don't take me yet, Lord, before I love you more than I love my sins. All Souls Day is about getting ready for death. And there's a lot of folks who will die before they're ready, which is, again, why the church, from the beginning, has believed in purgatory, the scriptural doctrine of purgatory. Our souls demand purgatory, that those who die in an imperfect state of holiness need that final stage of purification. Finally, All Souls Day is about reflecting on the fact that God has fashioned for us a remedy for death out of death itself. That Jesus Christ, right, the Word made flesh, life himself, descends into the depths of death in order to explode death from the inside out. Like life, when life gets swallowed up in death, he destroys the power of death. Which is why there's hope in death. Which is why St. Paul says Christians grieve unlike the pagans who do not have hope. That's why amidst the blackness of this vestment, the blackness of the heaviness, there's all this silver. It's not just simply the silver lining. It's to reflect that there is hope in the midst of darkness. That there is light in the midst of darkness. That Jesus has defeated sin and death. That for those who are attached to Christ, death, life is changed, not ended. Those who are attached to Christ... Death finds Christians distasteful. It spits us out. So on this Feast of All Souls Days, friends, let's, let us pray for the dead. Let us remember our death. Let us prepare for our death. And let us have hope because of what Christ has done for us. Amen.